Welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue, where we head to networking's curiosity shop, pull the most interesting objects off the shelf, and chat about it. I am Ethan Banks, your host today. You can follow me at EC Banks and the show at Packet Pushers. On today's show, EVPN. You've heard about it. We've talked about it in Packet Pushers Weekly Shows 196 and 233. And today, we're talking with Clay Haynes, a senior security engineer at Nexum. I heard Clay present on a few different use cases for EVPN at a Bosnog event. That's the Boston Network Operators Group in May 2016. And for this show, I thought we'd focus on using EPVN for an Enterprise Data Center Interconnect, or DCI. Clay, welcome to Packet Pushers. And if you would, please introduce yourself to the audience. Thanks, Ethan. Uh, hello, everyone. My name's Clay Haynes. I'm a, as Ethan mentioned, I'm a senior security engineer for Nexum Inc., a MSSP out of Chicago. Uh, I've been working in networking now for well over 10 years, and I'm currently a recovering server administrator. <laughs> recovering? Uh, what kind of server work did you do? A lot of uh, small, medium uh, enterprise uh, work for uh, school districts, uh, healthcare organizations, basically uh, EMR, uh, storing and managing EMR records. And then from there, I've gone into the wild world, world of consulting. Yeah. Okay. I, I I feel you there. I've done uh, I did some similar history in my past. Well, Clay, I heard you present at the Boston Network Operators Group about uh, EVPN, and you had done a with with some other folks a fairly detailed presentation of EVPN, exactly how it works, and you even threw a, a live demo up there for us where you used. Um, I think in your demo it was uh, some vMotion cross and EVPN infrastructure and so on. And I was like, okay, let's get into the weeds with Clay on a Packet Pushers podcast about. Uh, about what this uh, product can do, what it's good for, and uh, and then some of the implementation details because uh, you've been there and done that, and you know you were showing us how to read BGP output and all kinds of stuff. So maybe we should start at the beginning here to level set. Um, and again, listeners, you if you want more general familiarity about EVPN, we had uh, shows 196 and 233 in the weekly show feed you can go back to. So we're going to spend a lot of time here, but just so you kind of know what we're talking about, uh, we, we're going to do a little bit on what is v, uh, EVPN. So, Clay, you can uh, help us out here. I mean, VPN, yes, it is a, a type of virtual private network. It's not IPsec, but it is a, a virtual private network nonetheless. Can you give us some more details of what EVPN is? Sure, absolutely. So, first off, yes, uh, I know a lot of enterprise uh, enterprise engineers, enterprise users are familiar with the term VPN, and they usually think that just terminates on a firewall or some sort of security device. This type of VPN, however, is not encrypted, so it's not the same as an IPsec VPN. But it does it does allow us to do segregation across a either a semi-public or even an MPLS network, and allows us to segment traffic uh, as needed. So eVPN essentially allows us to learn MAC addresses on the control plane of a device. So we're actually taking a we take a dynamic routing protocol. BGP, and are instead of putting in specific endpoints or specific routes, uh, we're going to be using a tech. Uh, we're going to be using a technology called NLRI or network layer reachability information to instead put in IPv4 addresses. We're going to put the MAC addresses in there instead. So, so with BGP, you say NLRI, which in fact, uh, if I remember right, everything in BGP is an NLRI of some kind. Uh, yeah. We happen to think of it mostly as a routing protocol for IPv4, uh, IPv6, and the internet uses it for that. But in this case, we're just using a different type of NLRI, one that includes uh, MAC addresses in it. That's absolutely correct. And so by do, by being able to put in that information to layer three, we can now afford some of the nice features that IP, IP gives us. So I can do multi-pathing. I can get rid of things like spanning tree across multiple data centers. It makes things extremely easy to manage from a network perspective. And then from the application developers or the end users or uh, even the, the physical servers inside your environment, they just see it as layer two, and they they do their they do their localized routing and switching inside that segment. But from the network perspective, everything's layer three. Again, we we get rid of some of the we get rid of some of the uh, legacy issues that we've seen in uh, in many many designs for uh, data center interconnect. So, is this layer two extension across a layer three infrastructure uh, fundamentally? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and, and okay, and so if I've got uh, a bunch of different VLANs, um, would I be, you know, how would I integrate that? Like if I'm a, you know, we're, we're going to talk about enterprise DCI today a little more, but say I'm a service provider and I want to use uh, you know, eVPN, I would have used VPLS in the past, wouldn't I? Yeah, absolutely. The, the problem with VPLS, though, is that if I need to show, let's say, MAC addresses and customer MAC addresses, for example, uh, they need to be reachable between sites. That sometimes runs into issues. Uh, either we're overriding MAC addresses or maybe the information doesn't exactly get to the, the proper end. Not to mention VPLS itself has problems with, uh, let's say, broadcast storms. Or or, th- or if someone sets up a loop or has a loop in one of their data centers, that will get propagated across the VPLS network. Moreover, when we are talking about, let's say, multipathing, if I have two circuits coming out of my data center, uh, going to another going to another location, VPLS can only use one primary path and then have a backup path. And um, when you have a failover, well the backup path finally gets activated and you're able to forward traffic on it. So you're paying for two circuits and are only able to utilize one of them at any given time. Okay, so back to eVPN then. Uh, our control plane, as we've established, is, uh, is multi-protocol BGP. We're lighting up a new kind of NLRI to carry that MAC address information. And yep. then the data plane, w- what are my choices here? You've got three choices, really. Uh, the first one's provider backbone bridging. The next one is the MPLS, so we can use the MPLS data plane. And then finally, which is probably going to be the uh, choice for a lot of enterprises, it's going to be, is going to be using an overlay, overlay design such as VXLAN. Okay, so just to review those provider backbone bridging, that would have been, I, I think of it as a precursor to shortest path bridging. I know there were building blocks there on the frame types and so on from to get from PBB to SPB. Uh, is there, just curious, do you happen to know, is there a lot of PBB implementations of eVPN in the world? Not really. I mean, Cisco is it seems to be the one championing that, but even even they are starting to uh, push back and start looking at either pure MPLS or VXLAN. Okay. Juniper dropped it, dropped support for it, I believe, in fourteen point one. So it was an option, but no longer an option for for Junos. MPLS is the data plane. Then would be kind of like any MPLS network. I'm imagining it working very much like. Uh, L3 VPN, it's just sort of a different application riding on top? Yep, absolutely. Okay, and then with an overlay such as VXLAN, so we've got BGP kind of advertising the MAC endpoints, and then to get from end-to-end, instead of MPLS tagging, we're going to use a VXLAN tunnel? Yep, we'll use a VXLAN tunnel. Uh, Your switches will be VTAPs, or the VLAN tunneling endpoint. They learn MAC addresses in the local network, and then uh, with a few config changes, uh, basically the VTAP will feed MAC address information into the eVPN updates. Ah, okay. So, so, you, so there's, there's a little bit of, of magic there that's happening, and it sounds like you have to have a switch that's capable of pulling this task off. Correct. Right now, that's kind of the, the system or, the, or the, the restriction that's really uh, holding back the floodgates a little bit. You need a high-end either Nexus switch or something along the lines of a Juniper QFX, MX, or the EX9200 in order to utilize the VTEP feature. Okay, so I think we got a pretty good idea of what eVPN is. Now, w- what use cases have emerged here? I mean, we're, we're going to talk about DCI in this show. Uh, it sounds like it's a possible replacement for um, VPLS in the service provider world. Uh, mm-hmm. Other things worth mentioning? Well, two. Uh, the other other place is going to be Cisco OTV. It's a very, very interesting uh, GRE tunnel. <laughs> so proprietary solutions are going to go away because eVPN is an RFC standard. VXLAN is an RFC standard. Putting them together is also going to be part of a, of a new standard that's currently in, dra- in draft right now. Okay, so you, you foresee that Cisco OTV as a DCI may go away replaced by eVPN because, as you say, it's standard OTV was a, a Cisco-specific solution that I, I know it's got tons of documentation. I actually read one of the, uh, the reference architecture papers on it. Mm-hmm. Pretty lengthy. There's a lot of design considerations for it. You, yeah. But your suspicion is it goes away over time. Oh yeah, absolutely. And 
really this could go into a further further deep uh, discussion into migrating applications off of layer two or requiring layer two protocols and going into a full-blown layer three type solution but really I, I feel that vxlan and evpn working together is going to be that mid to long-term solution until our applications or our services are able to be fully fully virtualized in other words, we're going to do away with the need for data center interconnects that allow us to do stretch layer two between because of application rearchitecture. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And we're starting to see that now thanks to uh, companies like Amazon AWS and uh, Microsoft Azure. So when we stretch uh, layer two between data centers, I mean, always, and, and actually this is one of the things uh, OTV deals with, uh, you, mm-hmm. you have problems with, I, I don't want my... Uh, failure domains to extend between those data centers. So I do things like I'm going to limit spanning trees so that I end up with two different spanning tree domains split uh, at the OTV boundary, the D- let's call it the DCI boundary. Uh, and you do things like, well, we're trying to avoid traffic tromboning, and so we're going to set my uh, first hop redundancy protocol, whatever that might be, VRRP, HSRP, and make sure they're both active in both data centers uh, and so on. Does EVPN help me with any of these things? EVPN specifically with uh, higher end switches that do that allow us to do EVPN and layer three termination for VTAPs. Uh, with I guess I should say before before we get into that, right now it, any solution that you have uh, to deal with situations like that are right now currently proprietary. So Juniper has their own implementation, Cisco has their own implementation. It's definitely not uh, what I would consider an open standard quite yet. But typically speaking, when you're doing layer three termination inside of a VTAP, uh, with e- combine it with EVPN and combine it with um, either some sort of service or some sort of uh, built-in uh, configuration into the respective vendors, you can do a couple things like proxy arping for any type of routes or any type of MAC addresses that would be that may be in another data center. So if I have a local host here trying to proxy arp for a device that is located in that other data center, I can essentially allow the MX or the the core router switch that's terminating EVPN that can actually inject its own uh, MAC address in, uh, for the response back to the, end, to the end device. On top of that, we can put in layer three addresses, again, on the VTEPs. Those can be consistent and the same across all one or more data centers. Once we have those two features taken care of, now traffic is e- uh, easy to flow. The other proprietary por- uh, portion is things like uh, VMTO, basically a vMotion optimization protocol. Again, proprietary and uh, essentially, it will allow the router to make intelligent decisions on whether to send traffic across the data center or whether to keep it local. Clay, you mentioned that there are you know, proprietary uh, extensions that vendors have put out for what I'll call you know, domain separation, you know, first-hop redundancy, containment, that kind of thing. Uh, does that impact my ability to go cross-platform? Like if I'm Cisco on one side and Juniper on the other, do those proprietary extensions cause me any problems? Really, it honestly depends on the implementation. Unfortunately, I've not had enough experience in a multi-vendor environment. They're usually all Cisco or all Juniper to uh, to be able to support these types of situations. So I don't want to say, yeah, I can or no, I can't. I just, uh, at the moment, I just don't know. And, and if these things become standardized, maybe that's moot in the long term. So we'll let the uh, yep. the vendor representatives at the IETF uh, slug it out. To see what happens. <laughs> Absolutely, I do want to say though, uh, you know, for most systems or most situations, you can have that same address at at the multiple data centers. As long as you're not advertising across BTP, that's usually not a huge or across your data centers, that's usually not a huge issue. Proxy arping does function the same way. It's just the VMTO or like the virtual machine traffic optimization extensions. Those things currently right now do not uh, really work well with each other, or at least they're not interoperable from what I understand. 
Okay. All right, Clay. Well, let's get to the focus of, of this podcast. What I, I really wanted to drill into was some of the nitty-gritty details that engineers who are thinking about EVPN, you can kind of walk them through some of the terminology because uh, EVPN does have its own language of, of terms because, my gosh, how could we possibly create a new protocol without a whole bunch of new terms to go with it? And uh, <laughs> and then maybe maybe we can do a packet walk you know, in DCI, what's actually happening uh, so that we can get a layer two ether frame from one side of an, e- of an eVPN infrastructure to another. And I know you did a bunch of lab work and prep for this and packet mm-hmm. captures, and uh, and so, so this should be good. So again, to set the scenario here, what we're trying to accomplish is using eVPN as an enterprise DCI. So think of if you're using Cisco OTV today, or maybe you're doing something really horrible like, I just built a trunk between my two data centers. Um, <laughs> you know, think of this as a replacement for those sorts of solutions uh, that has a lot of uh, options and configurability and is intended to make stretching layer two between data centers as safe and as reasonable as possible it, within the context of what we've already talked about. You know, you're going to be using BG as a control plane protocol, your routing protocol, if you will, that's carrying MAC addresses in it. And uh, and then we're going to be using, uh, we're going to be using VXLAN here, right, as our interconnect, uh, our transport correct. data plane. Okay. Okay. So so those are the, the big puzzle pieces in place uh, that we're using. And and first, Clay, before we can really get into, you know, like like packet walks and that kind of stuff, we got to talk about some terms. We got to talk about some components that uh, make this whole infrastructure happen. And so the idea here, we're going to paint a picture for you, audience members, of what this infrastructure looks like and uh, and the terms required. Uh, and hopefully as you're listening, you're kind of building this, you're building your mental visio of what's going on here. So Clay, let's start with some terms. We've got a whole bunch of Ethernet segments and tags and so on. Can you walk us through the critical terminology in eVPN? Sure thing. So there really are four major terms that we're going to be referring to back over and over again. First one is Ethernet segment. And basically, this is just a set, the segment is just the actual Ethernet links from one data center to another, or in the service provider terms, from the provider edge to the uh, client edge or uh, customer equipment. Next up is the Ethernet tag, which is basically essentially a VLAN ID tag. So it's just a, a unique identifier for that specific broadcast domain. So I want to back up a second. Okay, so let's go back to segment. Yeah. Again, you said a segment as in the segment between me, my stuff, my data center that I'm used to, and the edge of the eVPN cloud. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah. Essentially, if you're doing, well, think of it this way. If you have two data centers, and I have two Ethernet links between the two data centers. Uh, the two links are those is that Ethernet segment. So e- links between the data centers. This is actually the segment that is going to carry my eVPN traffic. Yep. Okay. I actually had it kind of wrong the first time. Good. Okay. That, that's a good clarifier. <laughs> so then the tag is, it, again, it's not a .1Q tag. It's like a .1Q tag, but it is something unique uh, within the eVPN infrastructure to distinguish what different layer two domains going across my evpn pretty much and basically we can ethernet tag 101 is going to be the same across your entire multiple data centers so yeah that's just a unique vlan or what you can consider as a unique vlan and it but and it is globally significant it is globally significant uh, depending on some implementations you can re- rewrite those tags but for all intents and purposes and definitely for our demonstration here we're keeping them consistent across uh, each data center okay so we got a segment we got a tag and we got a segment identifier yep and basically that is going to describe the specific segment across the the backbone that you have so each uh, Ethernet segment uh, will have its own unique identifiers in order to determine the best path or determine the next hop for a specific uh, Ethernet tag and MAC address inside that Ethernet tag. So, the, again, the identifier is identifying that physical path, uh, Ethernet segment between yep. the two DCs? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then we've got an eVPN instance. Yep. The eVPN instance is essentially just the routing and forwarding instance that is going to span across all your routers for that specific Ethernet VPN implementation. So do you typically stand up more than one eVPN instance? For enterprise, not usually. But for for service provider, absolutely. Uh, that way you can have multi-tenancy and multiple customers. 
Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That that was my suspicion. There is that that that's more likely to come into play for service providers, just like you would have multiple layer three VPNs, uh, you know, in VRFs and your. Uh, in your PEs, you would have eVPN instances there. Um, I'm assuming that yep. that's where they would be. Exactly. Okay, so Ethernet segments, Ethernet tags, Ethernet segment identifiers, and eVPN instances. And now we've got some other pieces to the puzzle here that kind of uh, make up our eVPN topology. So we have, first off, there's an eVPN of overlay format that's for uh what we call NVO or um, network virtualization overlay. Yes, <laughs> I just found it on the slide. So okay, so, yeah. so eVPN overlay format of NVO network virtualization overlay. But I thought we were talking about you know VXLAN as an overlay. What are we confusing here? Not really confusing anything. If another network virtualization overlay were to were to be available, a new standard comes out. EVPN will be able to hook into just about any network virtualization overlay. Uh, just seems to be that VXLAN is the popular one today. It's supported by multiple vendors. It's supported by open source. So VXLAN is kind of the de facto standard at the moment. Uh, there, the draft for that uh, is actually, uh, let's see here. There's a draft for it. It's the uh, IETF Best DCI eVPN Overlay. It's right now currently in the IETF, and I believe it's on a second revision uh, as of February. Yeah, in other words, NVO is not a specific encapsulation format. It's more of a generic term where you can map whatever format you care to into it. Is that what we're exactly. saying? Okay. Exactly. And so, so the eVPN does have to have an overlay, uh, you know, an end cap of some kind, just like any tunneling protocol. If you're trying to burrow between one point and another point of a layer three infrastructure, and you got a lot of layer three hops to go through, you got to route that traffic across there somehow. And we're going to do it with an end cap. Um, in yep. eVPN terminology, we're talking about NVO, which um, in our case happens to be VXLAN is the NVO uh, of choice and you know, with other ones that could come down the line uh, later on. And there's already infrastructure and standards in place that are going to allow us to map other overlay types in. I wonder if uh, Geneve is going to at some point be uh, popular there. I don't hear too much about it out of the software world. but Okay, so we've got an overlay format, which is which makes sense. We've got to have something there. Yep. In our today, it's VXLAN. If for our DCI discussion, would would we consider MPLS to be that NVO in other contexts? Technically, it's a different standard uh, using eVPN with MPLS. But essentially, and really, the other point I wanted to make is that we can attach eVPN to basically any type of data plane protocol. Ah, so, okay. I think that's really the, the biggest thing. So eVPN is the brains behind the operation, while you have uh, the data plane being the forwarder based on the decisions that the control plane makes. So it, it's not technically a network virtualization overlay, comparatively speaking to VXLAN, but it is still a data plane protocol to be a, a data plane uh, forwarding mechanism. Conceptually, there's some parallels there, but yeah, if we're, if yeah. we're splitting hairs, then, then right, I, I, I stepped over the line. <laughs> trying to bring those into the same. I, I get it, because I, I agree, MPLS is not technically an overlay, even though it can uh, function as one, Which and there's a different standard set. You know, Fair enough. Okay. Uh, okay, so we've got our, our, in this case, VXLAN tunnel and, uh, and VTEPs, which we've mentioned before, VXLAN tunnel endpoints, which for us are going to be data center switches that are capable of acting as uh, hardware VTEPs? Yeah, for for this instance, and the main reason why is that there, because this NVO solution is still just a draft. There's no real the standard has not been completely defined as of right now. There's if you're using something like VMware NSX or maybe Cisco ACI, something along those lines. Those those systems that are storing information. Yes, we can maybe use some sort of standard standard protocol, uh, which. Uh, I forget off the top of my head, uh, OVSDB. We can use OVSDB to gather information from those maybe third-party switches, third-party software, open source switching and networking, networking technologies. However, as of right now, even though I can learn that information, I cannot share it and pull it into eVPN. And again, that's really just due to limitations and the uh, lack of a standard and limitations from uh, from hardware vendors. 
Okay. And then I think the last big piece of it we've mentioned before, multi-protocol BGP, sharing our uh, EVPN data. I want to hear about some configuration details here about all of this. So maybe talk us through, you know, the BGP and then, uh, you know, what, what that looks like. I'm imagining that if I was in Cisco parlance, I'd be talking about a new address family. Uh, I know you do a lot of Juniper work. So, you know, is there a lot of magic to get the get BGP talking EVPN to its peers? A little bit. It's honestly not that bad, though. Um, if you're familiar with any type of of uh, BGP configuration. I do actually have the configuration in front of me, so I, I know we can't exactly share screens on on, uh, on, a, on a podcast, but essentially all we're doing is we're turning on uh, BGP groups. So I created a BGP group underneath the protocols BGP for Junos. From there, I'm going to put in two specific families, family INET and family EVPN. Those are the standards that we're going to be using, or those are going to be, that's the configuration that we absolutely need in order to share the uh, NLRIs, that uh, reachability information. Okay, so when I've, I've turned on that address family, now how do I select... I mean, do I choose like per layer two domain per VLAN which ones I want to participate in EVPN and then tell BGP that information? Is there some kind of trigger there? Yes. So for for Junos, I'm going to talk specifically for Junos. So for Junos, there's protocols EVPN. There's two settings. First off is the VNI options and then the extended VNI list. So the VNI options essentially will create I don't want to say specifically it's like an MPLS tag but it's or an MPLS uh, label or anything like that, but it does put in a specific target on a per-VNI basis, which is that unique network identifier for each VLAN that you're sending across VXLAN. VNI, VXLAN network identifier, right, kind, mm-hmm. sort of kind of like a VLAN tag, something unique that describes that segment within, uh, within VXLAN, yeah? Correct. And then from there, uh, uh, creating the extended VNI list, which is just a configuration stanza, I can turn it on. Uh, so I can turn on specific VNIs to be included in that list that we send across BGP. The last thing, the last configuration is underneath the VLAN stanza. If uh, you're familiar with Juniper, it's using the ELS configuration, enhanced layer, layer two services. So with ELS, I basically go into VLAN, the VLAN stanza. I'll create the VLAN. Uh, I don't actually assign it a unique VLAN ID. I just assign it to a specific VXLAN. So, uh, for example, I'm going to be using VNI 101. So I'll create a VLAN 101 and then add in the stanza referencing VXLAN with a uh, VNI of 101. And you are manually assigning the uh, VNIs. You, That's correct. Uh, it's not an automatic thing that you have no control over. You can assign whatever numbering scheme you choose to. Yes. On top of that, too, my current uh, current example, since I am doing essentially pure layer three, I'm directly connected into my test hosts. It doesn't really matter for me to actually use VLAN tagging as of right now, but I can absolutely turn on VLAN tagging and be able to trunk multiple VLANs, which you would do in any any standard data center deployment, and then assign a v, uh, VNI per, uh, per VLAN. Which does seem to be the normal thing uh, in every VXLAN deployment that I've heard. You, you do assign a unique VNI per mm-hmm. VLAN, even though I think it's, it's possible to encapsulate an entire Ethernet frame, including the .1Q tag, within a VXLAN header. No one seems to implement it in such a way that you'd have a whole bunch of uh, VXLAN, or you have a whole bunch of VLANs in a single VXLAN network identifier that seems to be unique per. Have you ever seen uh, anything other than that? I haven't personally, no. Okay, so we've got um, BGP configured with the appropriate uh, EVPN address family. We've got mm-hmm. uh, VLANs that have been configured on this host. Uh, you mentioned the extended layer two services. Um, that's yep. configured. You've assigned VXLAN identifiers per VLAN, every VLAN that you want to participate in EVPN. So at that point, do I have MAC addresses showing up in my BGP table, or do I have to do something else? You do have to do a few other things. So the first piece is you have to specify VTEP. Uh, that VTEP is what we are using to term, uh, basically take in layer two information and convert it to layer th- and uh, 
be able to inject that information into BGP in the first place. So on these switch options, we're going to set up the VTEP source interface. And quite frankly, all it has to do is just be reachable across BGP or uh, basically both uh, both neighbors, BGP neighbors, are going to be have to be able to communicate across that to those specific loopback addresses. Just like any tunnel endpoint, you got to have a source and a destination. Um, and so yeah. we're defining our source uh, VTEP on this specific box. And you're using a loopback address. You're not using a physical address. So that's a pretty typical um, – I mean, you, I suppose you could use a physical address, but loopback would be a best practice. Absolutely. And, of course, if you did a physical address, well, there's a single point of failure. Especially when we're talking about putting this in a DCI situation, if you have multiple links – and you want to use something like multipathing or be able to load balance connections or flows between two data centers, putting it on a, putting that VTEP on a loopback is going to make it very easy for you to do load balancing. And you do it this way as opposed to standing up multiple VTEPs? Uh, or, or could you even stand up multiple VTEPs uh, on the same box and assign it uh, in this way? You know, I really haven't tried it, uh, but I wouldn't imagine it would work very well. <laughs> It'd be a more complex configuration as well, because if you assign a single loopback, then you've got a much cleaner configuration, and you can still take advantage of multipathing, because that traffic between loopbacks can traverse multiple links. Absolutely. And also, I just realized another thing that we should maybe highlight, or at least maybe uh, put into a previous conversation, too, is that the real interest of uh, doing VXLAN over, let's say, another tunneling protocol, which is like GRE, VXLAN is a UDP protocol, which also means that it's extremely easy to hash, because we have a source port, destination port, we've got the protocol, uh, and then, of course, the source and destination addresses. So based on that information, this basically allows us to use equal cost multipathing, unlike a protocol like GRE, which doesn't contain a source and destination port. And unless you have specialized hardware, it's usually very, very challenging to load balance that across multiple links. Uh, yeah, I remember with NVGRE, one of the big things about it was uh, the, the ability to do hashing because they, they did some augmentation in that standard as I recall. Um, but uh, right, VXLAN, uh, source and destination ports, you know, as you say, very hashable. And so as soon as you start pumping VXLAN traffic between uh, endpoints and you end up with a variety of source and destination ports, you should, as a function of the hashing, get uh, ECMP and uh, start spreading that traffic between VTEPs uh, across those multiple links and get your load balancing. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, so we've got uh, the VTEPs defined, and as we define, or I guess a VTEP defined with a loopback address, and we are defining this and then telling BGP about it as part of configuration, or? Yep, so basically underneath the EVPM protocol, uh, we basically turn on a specific encapsulation, whether that's MPLS or VXLAN in this case. So we turn on encapsulation VXLAN, that tells the switch, hey, one you learn stuff on your VTAP, send that over to the EVPN protocol. And then from there, EVPN is going to put in that information as an NLRI inside of BGP. So that's making the connection between the uh, VXLAN process, if you will, and the BGP process. And so now those two functions are sharing data. MAC addresses are learned at layer two via the normal means any Ethernet switch learns addresses, seeing traffic go through him as a bridge, um, you know, broadcast, et cetera, builds his MAC table. That information, correct me when I'm screwing up here because I'm just trying to infer yeah. how all of this is working. Uh, yep. That information is then going to be known uh, by the switch that is the VTEP, and for the mm -hmm. VLANs that you've enabled that functionality on, he will then take those MAC addresses and pump them into BGP. But he's not just pumping MAC addresses, it's MAC addresses and other information that makes up the NLRI. Uh, so what what all data is in that NLRI aside from just a MAC address? So it's going going to contain the peer that it learned it from. Uh, optionally, we can add in additional identifying information such as VLAN community or uh, VXN communities uh, or specific targets. One thing you will you will notice that it does not have is the actual data that we're transmitting across. Because we're talking about endpoints, we're not talking about. Yep. 
you know, right. These aren't entire yep. frames that are showing up. These are just address identifiers, MAC addresses in this case, with yep. the little additional bits that make them unique. Or uh, it sounds like if you're talking about VXLAN communities, that gives us the ability to do some sort of BGP policy action if we needed to go that to that level of granularity. Absolutely. Yep. And just personally for me, it's more of a good practice just to have that information in there. If I put in either community for the V, I can one quickly determine from a community it's this VNI. I can also put in another community or additional information to say it came from this switch or from this or from this uh, VTAP. And basically, if there are issues, I can help. Help track that down very easily. Okay, so you you just basically populated with metadata. Nothing that's required for the switches to be able to forward necessarily, but something that could be really useful to you as data showing up in the NLRI and uh, helpful for troubleshooting. Yep, you nailed it. <laughs> Got it. Okay, cool. It definitely helps out too. Um, so the critical information is obviously inside the NLRI. And that NLRI will contain things like the AFI, which is basically t- saying, hey, I'm a MAC advertiser around here. I'm sending this information from myself to my remote BGP peer. Uh, we'll also put in the route distinguisher. So the route distinguisher is essentially it is required, but it is a reference tag to show, hey, uh, my VTAP is the one that's sending this advertisement to you, sending this information. So it tells us exactly which uh, which VTAP learned that MAC address. So when I think of a route distinguisher, I really think of uh, multi-tenancy in Layer 3 VPN and MPLS environment. Is it kind of analogous to that? Because it sounds like a very different field. It is analogous to that, actually. But it, but essentially, it, it just tells us where we got that information uh, as opposed to using it as a multi-tenant type solution. But it but there but that route distinguisher is essentially the same feel that you would see in an MPLS packet too. And yeah, what else is in that uh, the NLRI? Optionally, ESI or the Ethernet segment ID. Uh, in this my demonstration, I'm not doing multi-pathing, so that ESI value would be zero. Got it. Ethernet tags. Uh, Ethernet tag ID is one oh one. And that just essentially matches the Ethernet tag that we configured on the on the Juniper device. We have a MAC address length, so it's going to show us the actual length of the MAC address. Uh, that way, uh, if we start seeing weird stuff or you know, MAC address length of greater than 48, uh, 48 characters, either there's a problem with the network or there's some magical new new protocol or standard that I'm not aware about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Next up is the actual MAC address itself. And then optionally... Uh, since I'm using QFX, which is they don't support layer three VTAPs, just layer two, layer two information only, um, I can optionally see IP addresses and the IP address of that device. Of the device that's acting as the VTAP. In other words, it'll, it'll pull a layer three address for your reference, even though in this case it's only a layer two VTAP. Correct. And if you are not doing layer three VTAP, it should, that length should be zero. And then the IP address field will show not included. So. If you start seeing that stuff in there, let me know because uh, I want to know what version of Junos you're running. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Finally, there is kind of a, a reference or throwback to MPLS. There is an MPLS label uh, that's also included. By default, if you're not going through multiple hops, you know, like I said, this we're talking you know straight layer two stretch. It's basically going to be a shows here the MPLS label stack is six or the bottom, the last uh, the last hop. So there is a little bit of a throwback to the MPLS days, but for most cases, that NLRI is just going going to contain where it came from, the MAC address, and optionally IP address information. Okay, so that's a busy NLRI. There's a lot of information in there. And does it present itself when you're doing a, a show BGP and you're looking at contents from the EVPN table? Is it pretty readable, or is it... All encoded in hacks, and you you really need a decoder like Wireshark or something to be able to make sense out of what's in the NLRI. Again, I'm going to be I'm using Junos the whole time, so it's a little bit different for me uh, versus what you might see in Cisco or RIST or something something along those lines. So uh, when I do show BGP summary, you're basically going to see each family uh, that I'm using to advertise across BGP. From there, if you do, you're instead of looking at, you can look at the Ethernet switching table. 
So that's a good start there. So when I do show it in a switching table, it will actually tell me the MAC address. It'll tell me the VLAN name. And it will also tell me the uh, logical interface I learned it from. So did I learn it from the local physical, physical network or did I learn it on the VTEP interface? If I learned on the VTEP interface, it's going to show an interface uh, VTEP dot uh, some unique identifier, and then it shows the active source of where it came from. So that's part two. So that's if I look at the Ethernet switching table. Then finally, if I do show route protocol BTP, we'll see the last bit. So you'll see the INET.0 table, and then you will see uh, we've got INET0, which is your default, your normal routes and such. We have the bgp.evpn.0 routing table, which is the things that we're learning are from our BGP neighbor. And then finally, we have the default switch.evpn.0, which is if we had multiple peers, then we would see all the routes aggregated together inside that default switching switching instance. Just like, just like routing in Junos, there is a switch instance, and we can actually create multiple switch instances if we absolutely needed to for whatever reason. They're called virtual switching VRFs. But the default switch here is going to have all the information that we've learned from all of our peers. The route itself is going to show uh, essentially the the route uh, the route sequence. So was this route learned, or was this MAC address learned first, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever? It'll show that. It'll show the VTEP address. Then uh, it will show some optional communities if you have that. If not, it's just going to be uh, a bunch of uh, colons inside that rod itself. Then you'll see the VNI, which in this case is 101. And then you'll finally see the MAC address uh, that we've learned. And uh, from there, it'll show us the path. It'll show, it shows us the path or the next hop. It'll show us the autonomous system path. Uh, right now, I'm just using all IBGP to make everything, is, assume everything is a full mesh. And then it will also tell us the path to send traffic to that MAC address out, which is going to be across the physical interface that's are connecting our data centers together. Which actually is an interesting question here, um, connecting the segments together, because as I'm thinking about this, OTV, as I remember reading through design guides and so on, Typically, you've got the OTV endpoints kind of at the edge with the Ethernet circuits terminated on them, and that's where all the magic happens. But is that what you would also do with EVPN, where there's some switch that's dedicated to the purpose sitting physically right at the edge of the data center, and they're plugged in directly to one another with the the long-haul Ethernet circuits? Or... Uh, could you position them anywhere in the data center? Because it's VXLAN, it's layer three, so it kind of like, ah, who cares? Uh, you know, sit it at the edge of your data center fabric, and you know, whatever infrastructure is between there, it sort of doesn't matter. You can put it essentially anywhere. Just if you're terminating uh, the circuits on a third on another switch. Obviously, the, that switch has to understand eVPN. So as long as it supports that eVPN family. Yeah, we can send routes to it all we want, and it, it will work just fine. So, okay, so there's there's a design question I've got uh, right right there. Does that though those the switches that would be terminating the circuits and you know the long haul circuits need to know VPN, or does it just need to know how to uh, push VXLAN traffic you know between them? Uh, does it just know you know have to have enough knowledge to be able to stand up the BGP uh, peers? It would have to participate in BGP one way or the other because, again, we're not we're trying to get rid of the whole layer two connectivity. So that's and there's no MPLS there that's going to handle pushing traffic between BGP peers. So right, okay, Correct. this is DCI. Yep. yep. So he's got to be yep. he's got to be in the BGP mesh at the very least. Yep. And he definitely doesn't have to be the VTAP. He just needs to understand the NLRI that the VTAP would be sending to him. And that's the, that's the that's the thing. He's got to be able to care. He's got to participate in the EVPN family, or those NLRIs are going to get to him, and he's not going to relay them. So yep. even those switches in the middle, or in the you know at the edges that are uh, terminating the long haul Ethernet between data centers, would need that as well. Okay. Yep. Makes yep. sense. So. I guess that's really kind of the beauty of it, too. If you have your core switch, which is going to be either a large chassis or going to be very feature-rich, that's going to be able to do layer 2 and layer 3 VTAPs. Let's put that in the core. Let's dedicate a lot of hardware to it. And then the edge switch, which can be something small, could be a one-year, two-year switch that's uh, handling a couple, maybe 40-gig connections or 10 or 40-gig connections. 
let that do that thing and make sure we've got MTU large enough just to ensure that VXLAN traffic can actually go across. I think that was one thing we also forgot to mention, <laughs> by the way. VXLAN does require a larger MTU. Because it's an end capsule, right? Of course it does. Yep. Uh, makes sense. And it, typically, do you solve that with jumbo frames? Or is there like a PMTUD that you count on to make sure that you don't deal with fragmentation, etc.? No PMTUD. Um, you have to have, it has to be large enough to contain the entire packet. There's no fragmentation or you can't really shrink down that packet any further, especially if the rest of your data center is uh, standardized on, you know, 1500 byte MTU. So then, then jumbos, we we would expect that this sounds like this is typically an ethernet switching environment, uh, is what we'd be relying on to, to make this happen. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I guess... When you're talking about jumbo frames, I think of jumbo frames like 9192. You don't need a 9192 jumbo frame. just need something around 1,600 bytes that's usually safe enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right, because you can configure jumbo frames to be you know, whatever's within spec for your switch. Um, 9,000 is really yep. common, right? 9192 I've seen. But you don't need all of that. You just need enough to accommodate. Uh, well, are we talking, we're talking the VXLAN header here. Yes, VXLAN is VX, the VXLAN header is approximately fifty. If I remember right, it's fifty bytes uh, plus the entirety of the Ethernet frame that's being encapsulated. We usually like sending sixteen hundred. You could get by with fifteen fifty, but sixteen hundred gives us plenty of room. Have we had enough kind of infrastructure and topology discussion to be able to do a packet walk now, or is there some more groundwork we need to do before we can uh, do this packet walk? We've got BGP set up. We've got our course, our switches uh, connected to the network. We've got uh, information being shared across. So, BGP peers are up right now. They're sharing information. Uh, I think we're ready to go for a packet walk. All right, so let's do something you know very straightforward. I am uh, on in one data center, and I need to open up a connection to, let's say it's a web server that's in another data center. We're on the same VLAN, so this would be, um, you know, we'll keep it as simple as we can here. You know, east-west traffic uh, traversing the data centers. The first thing I do as that client making that HTTP request is uh, ARP. I'm going to put an ARP out on the wire and say, hey, I'm looking for the MAC address of this IP address that I already know. What happens next? The router, the switch that's terminating EVPN will pick up that inf- will pick that up and look at its local bridging table, which has been populated not only by local devices, but also the stuff that it's learning from EVPN, from other switches or other routers inside the network. From there, it'll respond back pointing the uh, the host to the right MAC address, which actually is going to be proxy ARP. It's actually going to be semi-frame to the switch, the local switch. Yeah, okay. And so now me as a client, uh, I've got my ARP response. It's a proxy ARP response from the local switch. Uh, now I f- send out my Ethernet frame with a destination MAC of the switch. I send it, the switch receives it, and yep. now what does he do? From there, uh, using VTAP, uh, we are going to encapsulate that VXLAN and then turn it into a destination packet to the other VTAP on the other side. Follow our default, our, our standard routes or the standard pass that we've learned through BGP or OSPF or whatever you have. Then on the other side. Well, well hang um, on a second. We're going to, no, no, we're going to do more detail than that because I got to okay. get all this in my brain. Um, yeah. No problem. So he gets it, um, and and he knows that this MAC address um, is something that I have to send. You know, I as the switch have to send across this EVPN infrastructure because he knows he knows that MAC is not something he's going to be spitting out a local interface. He knows I've got to pump this into. Well, what does he know specifically? He's learned from BGP that he's got to pump it into a VTAP. I mean, if we were to look at a you know his forwarding table, hardware forwarding table, is he actually going to say? I got to I got to stick this into a VXLAN wrapper and shoot it out across the tunnel effectively. Pretty much, that's exactly what happens here. Um, and we know, and he knows that because of the because of the route. The route uh, update shows the VTEP that we've lo- that we learned that MAC address on. It shows the VNI that we need to encapsulate it with. And of course, it shows the MAC address. So we take the information from the EVPN from the EVPN route. And know, hey, I need to send this across, and I need to send it to this specific VTAP. 
So that, and okay. And so now we've got a VXLAN packet that has encapsulated the entirety of that Ethernet frame. I assume the destination Mac must get rewritten. Well, let's see. Because we proxy art with the, did we proxy art with the switches Mac or did we proxy art with the true destination Mac? We proxy art the destination Mac with okay. the local switches with the local switches Mac. The other side, when it receives the packet, um, will have the original source Mac that the that the traffic came from. And so, okay, and so now we okay, so we take that. We don't have to do any rewrites or anything goofy because we have the true destination Mac. We stick the VXLAN wrapper around it, and now that switch as a VTEP is able to forward to the appropriate VTEP on the other side. And so, what's actually traversing is now a VXLAN packet, uh, UDP, some source and some destination that I assume gets um, randomly assigned to support hashing, or is there is or is that fairly predictable what the ports are going to be? I don't know if you've looked into that in much detail. Well, it's going to be dynamic source port and same destination port. It just travels across the infrastructure as a regular IP packet. Um, we yeah. don't care that there's Ethernet inside there. It's just a tunnel packet. It's IP being forwarded in accordance with IP forwarding tables, taking advantage of ECMP where it can. It, it arrives mm-hmm. at the other side at the remote VTEP, just like any tunnel. It gets decapsulated. Tell me when I'm wrong here. And, and now I've got an Ethernet frame, a decapsulated a VXLAN packet that turns into an Ethernet frame. And and now what? The destination MAC address is going to be whatever that other host is on the on that in the other data center and that gets forwarded to the to the end device so it's just when plain old res- boring ethernet forwarding at that point once you've decapped it yep. he can just look at his local bridging table and go yeah and shoot it out the uh the appropriate port fired at the host exactly and then vice versa uh if that other host has it has never seen that mac address before once it's deca- decapsulated and sent to the host that where that packet was originally supposed to go to okay yeah if he does not know that MAC address, if that device does not know the MAC address or the, I should say, the IP address, uh, it's not in its ARP table. It knows to forward that packet uh, back to the VTAP, the v, uh, basically go through the same uh, proxy ARPing function that we had previously, uh, that we had described previously. Well, I think now we got it there. Okay. <laughs> and we get it back to the other side. And it's really not. That hard, uh, actually. Now that I'm thinking about all of this, there's 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 a little bit of extra with BGP to build out the control plane and make sure everything stays unique. Um, mm-hmm. And as soon as you layer, if we were to layer on multi-tenancy, there would be a bit more complexity there. But uh, you know, overall, uh, okay, this is this makes good good sense. It's pretty straightforward. What about what happens with the weird stuff like us, like a spanning tree? A uh, frame wants to go out. You know that is that stuff. That that stuff separate. I think we said before, right? Yeah, it's separate because we're doing layer. We have a layer three connection between the two data centers. Well, so, okay, but I could argue I could I could send BPDUs across my EVPN infrastructure, or 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 or, or, or I'm not doing that. You're not really. Yeah, you're not really doing that. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> um, so if we see layer two traffic, you know Q and Q or or. Uh, Spanning tree or something along those lines; those don't have MAC addresses in them, and therefore, because they're a unique, uh, you know, sort of datagram on the wire and not at your Ethernet frame, EVPN is not going to learn them in that way and then advertise them, and so they never arrive at the switch, and the switch goes, "Oh, I'm going to tunnel this." It because those are all very selected things that we've defined: uh, what Correct. gets encapsulated and what does not. Yep. Yeah, we're doing. We're, not that we've said, you know, only do uh, specific kind of frames. It's just that's the way EVPN you know, is designed as a protocol. That's correct, and that is another key differentiator for things like GRE, where you can tunnel multiple protocols across that, or uh, Q and Q. We can do layer two tunneling of certain protocols as well. CDP comes to mind. So does LDP as well as spanning tree. So what happens when I have a broadcast storm in data center A on one of my EVPN-enabled VLANs? There's a couple things. So there are specific timers for learning MAC addresses. 
So if I learn, for example, and this is also really a kind of a key point for the MPLS version of eVPN as well. So we basically will have an increment, there's a timer or an increment that is recorded by each switch participating in eVPN. And that timer uh, is 180 seconds by default. And when we learn a new MAC address or new MAC route, essentially, that timer is encountered against the MAC routes that we've learned. And every time we learn the MAC route, whether it's going from one segment to another or from one data center to another, um, every time we learn or get a route update for that specific MAC address, then we will uh, increment a, a counter. That counter increments five times in 180 seconds, then any further routes from that from that device is then suppressed. So that means we will drop actively drop traffic from that specific MAC address until we we get that uh, spanning tree loop sorted out. Okay, right, exactly. Okay, in a, so in a broadcast storm, you know, presumably, right, we've got a bridging loop on the network. The MAC's going to be seen far too many times. It's going to exceed that threshold. That Mac's going to fall out of the table, and so as it is, as the broadcast storm is beating the control plane CPU to death on the poor switch, he's going to see the Mac, but he's going to go, "Okay, this is falling out of my eVPN table." I and he'll have no instructions, therefore, to end cap the frame and pump it across uh, the eVPN tunnel, you know, to put it in VXLAN and send it on its way. And so Correct. we have some protection there simply by that timer, the update. It's it's man, it's kind of it's kind of brilliant. It's such a simple failsafe. What happens is the gold, there's two golden rules. So we've got the Mac route flapping. So if we learn the same Mac route more than five, uh, the, more than five times in eight, 180 seconds, that route's been suppressed. That's rule number one. This second rule, which I would consider the golden rule in this case, each device participating, even a VPN, must learn the MAC address, whether it's from an eVPN route update or from the local local network, uh, you know, from a standard broadcast, before traffic will ever pass through that switch. And that's how the mechanism works. So if I pull that route, if I pull that MAC address out of my eVPN route table, that means I don't know that MAC address anymore. That means that the any traffic coming from a specific MAC address will be suppressed and drop and will drop the packets before it ever leaves the data center. And so we've got data center be protected, you know, in that case. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously with a loop, you're going to create a one network. You're going to create a, create a one data center, but it's not going to replicate out like VPLS would, or uh, by using a pure layer t- uh, data plane uh, data center interconnect of some sort. All right, man, we've been going for almost for over an hour here. Um, it's a few more questions I want to ask you to, to kind of help bring this podcast to a close because this has been this has been awesome. This has been great. I have this so clearly in my head now chatting with you. It's been fantastic. And I hope you listening kind of got all this in your head as well if EVPN is interesting to you. Uh, Clay, l- lessons learned. I mean, if there have you worked with EVPN and maybe made a mistake along the way or have some you know architectural recommendations, thing, you know, traps to avoid? or uh, tips about you know, redundancy or any, anything like that that you wanted to share? Probably the, the biggest thing, um, and this goes across the board with across all vendors, the documentation for this stuff is still pretty much, it's incomplete. And so I would always strongly recommend uh, putting this into some sort of live environment and testing it there. You know, we've got Cisco Viral, Juniper's got VMX and VSRXs with demo licenses. It's very easy to replicate and test this stuff before you try to put in a production environment. And, so and in fact, at, at Bosnog, at the Boston Network Operators Group, your your demo was all uh, all lab based, right? All lab based. It was all VMX. Uh, the second lab, which is the VXLAN plus eVPN, those are two. Uh, two cannibalized Juniper DDoS appliances. Again, sorry, Juniper, but they are really good ESX hosts. <laughs> uh, and uh, two QFX 5100s. So you did have two hardware switches that were in the mix here. Right. Uh, in, in your that, lab. Yep, and that was specifically due to the VTEP. Um, I need the VTEP functionality. Okay. 
Fair enough. The hardware VTEP. But, but, but again, your big point being documentation is weak. Um, and, and therefore lab it up, uh, before you go to production with a sort of a setup. And have you had to contact either, uh, Cisco TAC or JTAC on any of your, um, any of your EVPN work? No, I don't think they like me anymore. <laughs> uh, usually when I call them, it means, uh, uh something's horrible. Uh, broken there's a there's a bug somewhere so i usually leave them alone and there is if you look outside the standard vendor documentation there are plenty of blogs um there's a gentleman in chicago which i will get uh side note i'll get you the name later but there's a gentleman in chicago that uh, has really gone through a lot of the stuff already and is where i base some of my configurations off of that did a fantastic job of really documenting out how to configure um, at the very least juniper's juniper's implementation excellent and if you want to send uh send me that link clay i'll make sure that we include it in the show notes uh, at packetpushers.net, you'll be able to find that if you're listening to the show. And and by the way, Clay, if you care to contribute any of your lab configs, uh, we can include those in the show as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll give you some basic diagrams and uh, as uh, to to show what it looks like, uh, at least what my lab looks like. And uh, yeah, I'd be more than happy to share that. That'd be that'd be fantastic, man. You really uh, you're giving a lot to the community. That uh, that's really appreciated. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> any other final comments, uh, thoughts, or clever commands? Anything else pop to mind that you want to share before we close the show, Clay? Um, well, there's always uh, show version and blame, although I don't think that works anymore. Uh, <laughs> show version and haiku. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've not heard that one before. Yeah, show version and haiku uh, is the, the ulti- ultimate secret command on Junos. Uh, other than that, uh, really getting back on topic, uh, really the the only other pitfall, it, the only other challenge or pitfall, like I mentioned before, uh, is gathering VXLAN information or gathering uh, MAC address information from ESX, uh, ESXi or specifically NSX. Yeah, you can gather that stuff through OVSDB, but I do want to reiterate that information from OVSDB will never at least right now, will never be uh, populated into eVPN. So uh, right now, that interoperability for NSX uh, as an overlay, or NSX uh, in general, using that for VXLAN overlay, it's just not not there yet. If you run into those types of situations, though, uh, that's when we start looking at eVPN over MPLS as opposed to VXLAN. Ah, okay. Well, Clay, how can people follow you on the Internet? So, uh, the two major ways is uh, through Twitter. Uh, I'm dark underscore 15 on Twitter. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm dark1587. And I do have a personal blog uh, at alostrealist.com. Alostrealist.com. Oh, there's got to be a story yeah. there. It involves uh, some good friends in Montana and uh, a uh, particular band uh, called Trapped. Back in my high school days, uh-huh, <laughs> yes. Let, let's face it, we were, we all made dumb decisions there. But um, <laughs> no, the, the the moniker stayed, and the uh, the song is still pretty good. But uh, but yeah, that, that's where that boils down to. Alostrealist.com, dot com. Very good. LinkedIn dark fifteen eighty seven at dark underscore fifteen. And uh, I'm just looking in our show notes that we prepped before we recorded this. You like the book MPLS in the SDN era? Yes, and that does have a little bit of Cisco config, but it's primarily Juniper, and it is a fantastic book. If you want to, if you want to just even get your as an enterprise engineer, you want to get your feet wet in MPLS. That is the the book. That is the book to to really look forward to and look into. It, I've been using it right now for my JNCIP study uh, studies for service provider. I'm going to try and get get the the third JNCIE pretty soon. So that's really been one of my folk, one of my study books. Uh, oh and my word! Are you married? <laughs> a third JNCIE, dude. Hats off yep. to you, man. Seriously, that is extraordinary. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, I got uh, JNCIE SEC number sixty nine. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm proud of that number. <laughs> and JNCIE ENT number four ninety two. 
Jeez. Okay. You're going for the third <laughs> one. I just, I don't know where you people find the time. I know how long it took me to get my CCIE and about died. So, wow. Okay. Working on the third one. Uh, and then another resource you mentioned, Rick Muir's blog. Maybe this is one we were trying to think of before, but uh, you got a couple of articles you've linked here, EVPN, RFC 7432 Explained, and then EVPN Configuration. Yep. Well, that's one of the blogs. Um, that one was really more aimed towards the MPLS type deployment. Uh, the other blog that I'll get to you, I'll get to you, and we can take care of that later. Is uh, a gentleman out of Chicago. Okay. Um, so yeah, those are those are really kind of my been my primary resources to figure out this and deploy this for. I deploy uh, both the EVPN for MPLS and EVPN for uh, VXLAN. All right, and that is going to bring us to the close of the show today. Just a couple more references on EVPN that uh, you can get from PacketPushers.net. Show 196, EVPN intro and use cases with Russ White and Jeff Tansura. That goes back a ways um, and was just just honestly just emerging because it had you know gone further than that. But uh, you know, but it was Russ and Jeff uh, talking at a high level about the technology and uh, what you'd be doing with it. Then we did show 233, which was a show sponsored by Cisco about the Cisco Nexus platform using BGP as a VXLAN control plane was the title of that show. And that was really EVPN. That was what that was all about. And I believe that was Lucas Kratiger was um, was our main speaker on that show. And Lucas is uh, very well spoken. If uh, you haven't heard him before, very uh, educational show there. There's another article, EVPN. Intro to Next Gen Layer 2 VPN. You can find that as a blog post on PacketPushers.net, contributed from the community. And hey, everyone, thanks for listening to Packet Pushers today. You can find this and many more fine, free, technical podcasts along with our community blog. That is engineers from the community just like you contributing. That could be you if you want to write on PacketPushers.net. Just send us an email, PacketPushers at gmail.com, and say, hey, I got an article in me, something I want to share with everyone that I've done that's cool. Great. Let us know. We'll get you set up as an author, and you can publish. We don't censor or anything like that. We'd love to have you contribute. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn. Like us on Facebook. Rate us on iTunes. And then last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.